Welcome to Tool Talk from Exegetical Tools, where we discuss transformative practices and terrific resources to help you rightly divide the word of truth. Reading the Bible. It should seem like a basic Christian thing, but sometimes that doesn't translate when we actually run the numbers. I'm here today with Glenn Powell, Senior Director of Content for the Institute for Bible Reading. Glenn, how are you doing, sir? Doing great. It's a beautiful day here in Colorado, and I hope it's fine where you are. Uh, fine will work just just fine. <laughs> Casey has had an odd winter, so um, yes, we're just riding it out. I'm sure Colorado is even chillier, but far more beautiful. So I envy you a little bit, but man, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about this. If you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about the Institute first. Where did it start from? What are the goals? Yes, the Institute actually grew out of two different organizations. One was the Zondervan Bible Publishers, and the other was Biblica, which is a 200-plus-year-old uh, Bible distribution and translation ministry uh, with a long and great history. And so what happened is four of us, um, kind of two from each side, came together and said, Bible translation and distribution are great work. It's essential, obviously, globally, for people to have the Bible in their own language and to have access to it. But we were noticing that even in places where those two things were happening— People were struggling to actually engage the scriptures well. So we decided that we would kind of get into a new lane um, focused exclusively on Bible engagement. And we do that through two things, really. Um, We produce readers' Bibles, what are built for good Bible reading. And then we develop programs that whole churches, prisons, Christian classrooms can use together to have a community-based new experience with the Bible. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an important element, right? Because we've got in this digital age, I mean, more resources than we know what to do with sometimes. Um, but if we're not using them, then I mean, I think the question is, what what's the good of that? So one of the words you wanted to use here, transformative practices, if anyone noticed that in our tagline, I'm, I'm grateful that you played the game and uh, were willing to uh, come up with something on the spot for me there. But I think that <laughs> This definitely applies. You mentioned first uh, readers' Bibles. This is a relatively new thing as far as uh, Bible translation and typography and and publishing are concerned. Uh, What do you see as, I mean, if you wouldn't mind giving us the history, but what do you see as the value and what do you see as the trajectory for readers' Bibles? Yes, it's an interesting point. Um, We have a a long centuries-old history now of what we call reference Bibles, Bibles with the chapter and verse system combined, plus lots of other reference-type helps. And so we've kind of inherited in the modern period as Christians a Bible that was built for referencing, not necessarily for deep, immersive, long-form reading. And as we were looking at what's keeping people from reading their Bible— we thought, well, there's lots of factors, undoubtedly, cultural and, and so forth. But one of the factors might be the fact that we've made Bibles hard to read visually, just as a physical, cultural artifact. So we thought, you know what? Those reference forms were all added to the Bible late in the game in terms of the history of the Bible. I mean, the first chapter and verse Bible was until the 16th century. So we thought there's nothing inherent or inspired about that. What if we, alongside reference Bibles, offered people Bibles built for great reading, showed the natural literary structure of books rather than a chapter system, 
uh, built a nice single column, kind of did the, the research on what makes the perfect line length, spacing, font size, this combination of factors that build really excellent reading experiences. And then we started producing that along with, um, you know, programs that will help people do that together in community. So what we're hoping and praying happens is that people will start to think of it as normal to not just own a reference Bible, which is admittedly really useful for certain situations, right? I mean, it's not a bad thing to be able to find a particular place in the Bible quickly with a reference system. But we want to get people back to reading alongside of that. And we think reading actually is the first and most natural thing to do with the Bible. So our prayer is that readers' Bibles will survive. It's been encouraging for us to see it spread to many, many translations. Um, even globally now, it's, it's happening around the world. Uh, we started by working on the NIV. Now we're working with Tyndale, so we're using the New Living Translation. But you can get a reader's Bible in the ESV, in the King James, the New King James, the Christian Standard Bible. And I could give you a list of 20 international languages that have reader's Bibles happening. So we're hoping that this becomes a new historical trend that people will get back to reading with a Bible that's built for reading. Sure. I mean, uh, you, you hear some of the statistics on, on how many Bibles the average U.S. household has. Do you happen to have that off the top of your head? Yeah, the average American household just in general has just over four Bibles uh, as an average per household. The average Christian household has 10 plus Bibles in, in their their possession. And so clearly access is not the problem here that it is in some places of the world where mm -hmm. for sure that is still an issue for many parts of the world. But access is not the problem. And great translation is not the problem here. We have lots of good choices for Bible translation, um, but the numbers are depressing. If you care about Bible reading, Bible understanding, people living out the story of the Bible, uh, it's very discouraging to see the decline of Bible awareness. And among younger people, um, it's only getting worse. And so um, reading in general is in some jeopardy in our culture. So that's a thing. But also particular ways of understanding the Bible, understanding how it is that it's redemptive, admitting that there are some hard places in the Bible text. And there's a lot of attacks on the scripture these days, some of them even within the church. So we think that we need to contend for the scriptures and do everything we can to make sure that that we are people of the book once again. Mm, absolutely. And um, I think this actually complements your point about contending for the scriptures, isn't it? Uh... I know it's always attributed to Spurgeon because everything's attributed to either Spurgeon <laughs> or C.S. Lewis, right? There but you, go. you know, I'd, I'd much sooner defend a lion, just you know, unleash it and it'll defend yes. itself. And I feel like a reader's Bible is, in a lot of ways, an attempt to unleash the Bible. Just let people read this as it was meant to be read. Um, and of course, I have an audience here of and 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 am a lover of biblical languages, right? And so when we yep. say as it was meant to be read, well, I mean, if we want to get super technical, we're talking about in Greek and Hebrew, right? But at yeah. the end of the day, if we're not going to teach every single one of the people in our church, every single Christian, English-speaking Christian, how to read Greek and Hebrew, and if I would guess the majority of those who study Greek and Hebrew don't sit down and read 10 chapters at a time because right. we're just not quite that fluent— um, or if we were to do that, we'd probably miss a lot. 
I think there's a lot of value in pointing people to a good, solid, reliable translation and saying, read this thing cover to cover and let's talk about it. Yeah, it's very interesting. A big part of our approach is when we did, we looked back and said, why aren't people reading the Bible? And we kind of did a study of the history of the Bible as a book, as a in a particular kind of communication medium, and discovered that, you know, there's in the modern period, several different things came together. Um, the form of the Bible changed, as I mentioned, in the 16th century. That coincided cited within 100 years of when the technology of Bible printing changed with the birth of the printing press. Mm -hmm. Vernacular translation kind of came into its own in this general period. And modern individualism started becoming a bigger cultural factor. So you had this kind of combination of factors that led to people getting the Bible for the very first time in their own language. And it happened to be in the form, the new form, of a chapter and verse reference Bible. And we should remember that those early chapter and verse Bibles, every single verse was a new paragraph. So you didn't see paragraphs. You didn't see poetic stanzas. You didn't see parts of a letter. All you saw were, you know, one-liners numbered, and every single book looked exactly the same. So the form changed right as Bibles became available to a lot more people. So there's historical causes, I think, for all this kind of perfect storm of a new way of thinking about the Bible and interpreting the Bible yourself, everything that kind of goes with that. And we just thought, you know, there were earlier ways that God's people engaged the scriptures, communally listening to scriptures, reading or hearing it at length, you know, Lectio Divina has kind of become a thing. Um, if you look at the history back to the synagogue with God's people and then the early church, Lectio Continua was the first way that God's people in, engaged the text, regular at-length reading week by week, um, hearing God's word from a single book over time. And so we just think that there are things that can be recovered in order to help people really get deeply into the scriptures again in our day. We'll return to this great conversation in just a moment, but first, I'd like to tell you just a little about today's featured resource. This episode of Tool Talk is sponsored by Immerse, the Reading Bible, a six-volume reading Bible created with one goal in mind, to provide the best reading experience possible. If you want to read large swaths of Scripture, then you need a Bible made for reading without chapter and verse numbers, headings, or footnotes. You need to check out Immerse, the Reading Bible, from Tyndall House Publishers and the Institute for Bible Reading. Learn more about Immerse at ImmerseBible.com, linked in the show notes for this episode. And now, back to our conversation. With the advent of a search engine, right, I mean, the the, the benefit of having a reference right there in the text um, is kind of diminished, because if I really want to know what particular chapter and mm -hmm. verse that was, I can just go wow. find it. Right. Right. Okay, right. so... We don't rely on the physical book like we once did to find things like that. You're right. Sure, yeah. I mean, it takes a, a more aesthetic, tactile kind of quality than it does just info load, right? Because I have access to a world of information on my smartphone. And so, I mean, I think that that makes sense. I think there's uh, wisdom in that. I personally have really benefited from reader's Bibles, but also um, audio Bible. I mean, that's something yeah. that has gone a long way for me. You talk about uh, hearing the scriptures read aloud at length. I mean, connections that 
maybe I could make if I were looking at the Hebrew Bible mm. and my Bible software and I clicked on a word and said, where else is this word? But there yeah. are some conceptual connections and, and, and thematic and patterns that I can pick up when I hear First Samuel read aloud all the way through. And so... I think the yep. reading Bibles can really facilitate that. And that sort of brings us to that that next point. You know, we talked about transformative practices. I probably could have come up with trustworthy resources rather than there just terrific like resources. That. But here but we you're are. You're better than I am at that. <laughs> I mean, it took me about 15 minutes, but uh, maybe I'll go back and edit it or something. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about the resources, but we're also talking about communal reading. That's something you had mentioned. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember reading, uh, uh, an 18th century American preacher saying the thing to do with your Bible is to get in the room with the Bible, just you, God and the Bible, and for try to forget everything you've ever heard about a passage and read it as if it was coming to you alone for the very first time and interpret it without any biases about what others say, what other, what the church has said, and, and just have this brand new, fresh experience. And I thought, Okay, do that with with several hundred million people, and and what are you going to get? And I think there is a history of interpretation with the Bible, and and communal reading is is genuinely different. And I think one of the things that we're trying to reintroduce to the, the church is not just reading and discussing the Bible, you know, reading alone, but actually having communal reading and listening experiences back into the regular life of the church. If you sit and simply read aloud the scriptures together and then have a community-based discussion about it, the fact is we all have filters. We've Whether we're new to the Bible or we've lived with it for a long time, we have ways of thinking that have become embedded. We have certain kinds of experiences. It's different from the person sitting next to me. And the more I can hear from other people who see things and hear things in the text that I miss— because I tend to filter them out. I tend to look for the things I want to look for. Um, this is what I find in my own Bible reading. Like I've, I've developed a theology of, of you know, what, what's good and what's reinforcing, and I tend to skip over or diminish the things that don't fit nicely with my tidy theology. So a communal reading experience um, helps us like get past our own personal filters, and it also gets us back to the idea that you know, we always think of Bible application as being just personal and individualistic, and it certainly has a personal aspect of me and my life. But so many of those um, yous, you know, in the Bible, as you know, are plural, not singular, that actually the Bible, as Scott McKnight says, it's a community formation book. So what if we get together regularly and say, not just what does this passage mean for me, but what does this passage mean for us? For our community, our church, in this place where we live, in our world, um, what do we do together as a community, not just a bunch of individuals doing their own thing? So I think community reading, audio listening is back to a very original kind of Bible experience. Those are things we're trying to reintroduce to the life of the church. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I think I've seen some of this played out. You know, I what I might read into the text or what the person next to me might read into the text is um, not an authority, but it might very well help to uncover something that I filtered out. I think that that's really encouraging to remember. And if we're going to think of this as communal, I hope we're thinking of this as within our local congregation, which 
the Lord Jesus Christ has gifted with pastor teachers who are going to help mm-hmm. us to best make sense of yeah. this. Right. But even as someone who um, has been in preaching, teaching situations, I remember having preached through the book of Philippians and, and used as many resources as possible. Because, I mean, if any of our listeners picks up a commentary or uh, reads Christian classics or something, then they're hopefully trying to do this kind of a thing in some way. They're hoping to read the scripture alongside other people separated by space and time and cultural situation. Uh, but even after having done that, I remember being in a Wednesday night small group where we were discussing scripture together and someone just made a point of connection based on some other passage in scripture. Not like this is an illusion that we all missed, but just pointing out a a flavor, a nuance in the text that just seemed immediately to me to be correct. But I had not noticed it up until that Mm. point, even after having studied it. And it wasn't some, you know, it's not like a dissertation thesis. It's not some groundbreaking, we've all misunderstood Philippians. But to to minister to me in that moment, to see God's Word so clearly in that text through the eyes of um, a brother or sister in Christ, I think goes a a really long way. And so, I mean, if we can get our, our small groups with, you know, gifted, skilled leaders to um and, and godly lay people to read the Bible together, I think that this is only going to bear good fruit. I would hope. Um, yeah, and I think you're exactly right to mention the role of leaders. I don't I don't want to pretend as if it's just all outstanding, excellent discussion when a group of people get together and discuss the Bible. I've been in enough of these groups to know that some people go off the rails, um, <laughs> and and it's going to happen, right? You're going to get people kind of all over the place. But so there's a unique skill set of kind of asking church leaders to be leaders, to be teacher, pastors, and guiding people, guiding discussions, um, letting people truly engage, not just teaching them or lecturing them for an hour, letting people actually work it through kind of and talk about it, but guiding discussions. And I I think the model is kind of the, the ancient synagogue. This is kind of what they did. They were open in the sense that people could could discuss and passages were read aloud. But there was always someone there who had more authority who could kind of guide those discussions. Um, and sometimes, yes, we know from Luke and Acts that they got contentious because there were new interpretations coming, um, particularly around the work of Jesus. But the fact is it was a place where those things could be discussed openly and guided by by people who were more senior with certain kinds of authority in the community. And I think that's something that has been kind of rarely happening within our churches, and uh, it's something to get back to. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, That's a good word. I appreciate that. So we're thinking about readers' Bibles, uh, not as an end unto themselves, but in order to get people to read large swaths of Scripture. We're talking about um, discussing Scripture together, reading long passages together aloud, um, having some guided discussion based on it. Now, what kind of work is Institute for Bible Reading, besides um, you know studying, giving some of the stats on this, working, I know you mentioned on um, with the NLT and others, um, on some particular readers' Bibles, what are some other avenues of your work there at the Institute that would really lend themselves to this conversation? Yeah, so we, we think of it as a series of steps um, to, to excellent or stellar Bible engagement. Um, one is just to get people reading again. So we've, we've gone after the physical resource, um, getting people readers' editions, consulting with other publishers and helping them produce readers' editions. And so we're excited to see that trend growing. 
Um, but that's just the first step. I mean, you can still read the Bible and say, okay, I just read, you know, the whole Torah. Uh, and um, what what am I supposed to do with this? So I think we want to continue to do research with experts. And we think of ourselves as a bridge organization. We aren't necessarily scholars. Uh, we're not. Um, but we think of ourselves as thoughtful Christians who can listen to scholars, um, to experts, who write books and who, who give lectures that the general Christian public rarely reads or gets to hear. And we think what we can do is bridge that material and make it accessible to a bigger audience. The best Christian thinking by those who are gifted Christian teachers and scholars, how can we make that more accessible by building it into programs that whole churches are using. So, for instance, learning how to read the Bible as a story that grows redemptively, that's centered in Jesus, that's made up of different kinds of books that are different literary forms. And you kind of need to know what the ground rules of each literary form are in order to read that book well. Poetic literature is different from history, it's different from proverbs and wisdom literature, it's different from a teaching authoritative letter. And so getting people to think about basic questions, how to read the story, where's the story going, how is Jesus the center of this, what kind of book am I reading, um, what are the ground rules of a book like this, how do I read it well? And so what we want to do is get people reading and then keep listening to experts and use that research to continue to develop resources that will feed the church into not just reading the Bible, but reading and living it well. And we think that's a long-term project, and we're committed to just doing whatever it takes to get it, to get it going. I've already mentioned Immerse the Reading Bible, but if you're a pastor or small group leader, you ought to know about Immerse the Bible Reading Experience. It's designed to help communities read through large portions of Scripture together, like the entire New Testament, in just eight weeks and engage in weekly discussion. Readers can also watch an introductory video and then listen along with audio of each day's reading online. I've been tremendously blessed approaching Scripture in this way, and I think this is a fantastic help. If you want your church or small group to grow in their grasp of the big picture of God's Word, then you should consider Immerse, the Bible reading experience. Learn more about Immerse at ImmerseBible.com, linked in the show notes for this episode. And now, back to our conversation. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, it's that's a great goal. I mean, it's never going to be... Um, it's never. It's one of those kinds of visions that you can see increasing um, results and fruit, and yet never have a hard end date where you go, "Well, we don't need this anymore," <laughs> right? Right. And so, um, right. Obviously, yeah. The, the the work of the local church, God's work in and through local congregations and their pastors. Um, but man, I if we can have people come alongside local pastors, especially small group leaders, and say. Please let us help you. Here's some support. Um, here's a tool you can use. That's a huge part of what we even try to do here at Exegetical Tools is we're thinking about um, those who are maybe in the more academic world or those pastors who are really trying to grapple with um, the particulars of a text. We want to say, look, your work is deeply important. Let us resource you as much as we possibly can. And so I'm I'm excited to hear um, – what the Institute for Bible Reading has already been able to do, what you hope to continue to do. I think that there's a lot here. I did want to just uh, really cover pretty much one more subject uh, sure. before we wrap this up. Um, I, so we've talked about reading Bibles specifically, a little bit about audio. We've talked about small groups and what that looks like. I'm curious, you mentioned um, these video resources and, and the work of other scholars. Um, if you wouldn't mind, could you kind of 
flesh out? Is the Institute for Bible Reading hoping to actually transmit, um, like, teaching on a particular passage at a popular level? Uh, what, what's the goal there? Yeah, we, we don't really want to do that too much. I mean, there's kind of some of that that's built into to what we're, we're saying. Like, sure. we'll use particular passages as examples of, well, what kind of literature is this? And how does that impact what we think this passage is saying? And mm-hmm. where does this passage fit into the bigger story of the Bible? Where where are we in the storyline? Um, and how does it relate to Jesus? Those kinds of things. But basically what we want to do is gather scholars together for what we call intimate conversations, kind of by invitation only one or two day events where we set the table and we let them talk about things, and it's kind of multidisciplinary, so we get our bearings about what the best evangelical Christian scholarship is saying about the Bible and how to read it well. And then we think about tools that we can give to churches to help them read. So, um, you know, we think of this as a collaborative thing. We love, for instance, what the Bible Project guys are doing. Um, yeah. And, and those are increasingly popular. And I think it sets the table well for people to read. We're actually giving them tools to, to actually have reading experiences together. Um, but I think the next step will be how can we we kind of be uh, appropriately a part of those church conversations to not we don't want to start telling people what every single passage is about and take take stands on all the issues that kind of are divisive in you know in terms of interpretation but simply make sure people know the ground rules for what good interpretation looks like and so this multi-step way of reading the bible narrative reading genre awareness um, jesus at the center redemptive movement um, you know reading understanding the bible was first a word to its own world and what that world was like and what that word from god sounded like to people in that world I think those are tools that help people actually feel like, you know what, without being a scholar, I feel like I got the basics of good Bible engagement, and I feel comfortable doing this, especially with other people and with the leaders in my church helping me. So we're just committed to research, to producing more tools, and and it's always going to be partnership-based. We're, we're a small organization. I mean, we're a handful of people, but through partnership, we think we can influence uh, a large number of people through publishers and other tool producers by getting more tools in, into the hands of real church people that that they can understand. I oftentimes think of, you know, my own grandparents or my parents. Um, what could, they're not Bible scholars. They're never going to read and do the kind of intense study that I've done. Um, but what can I put in their hands that would help them have a better Bible experience? And that's what we want to give to the whole church. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's just something about um, the role of organizations like yours that it's, are going to be inherently kind of general, right? I mean, I remember talking to somebody at a, a similar kind of parachurch organization. They just said, you know, we're like theological Switzerland. We just don't take a side. Um, <laughs> right, and there's right. a sense in which you, you kind of have to do that, right? Um, I think there's a part of me that that would maybe really wrestle with something like that, just uh, having, having been a pastor and, and a preacher and teacher. But... Um, I just think that there's a lot of benefit there to say, look, if we can find some common ground on what the Bible is and how to read it well, then we just want to resource you to go there and learn what the Lord is teaching and let your pastor leader, um, the the scholars that you choose to read, uh, help inform you and let you weigh the good and the bad and, and take what you 
are most convicted by. And so, I mean, I think that there's um, there's a lot of good in that. So, man, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. I was curious to know what that looks like. Those multidisciplinary conversations sound uh, incredibly interesting. Are those the kind of thing that people can go to your website and go listen into? Or what, is that, what does that look like? No, they're kind of private. And we kind of invite the scholars there on the basis that these are private, that we're oh, going to okay. learn and we'll translate it. But um, they, they have the freedom to speak um, openly. And it, it's interesting. If you get a church history person in the room along with the biblical scholars— if you get a sociologist along with a philosopher and you get the Bible people there, then those conversations are amazing because hmm. it's not just the small little kind of niche in-house conversation that they're usually having with their fellow Pauline scholars. Um, there's bigger perspectives. This is what the early church did with that. And and then then something like that works in the real world. I think is more likely to come out of that. So that's what we do when we invite these scholars together. It's pretty broadly based, mm-hmm. and um, we think that helps. And I, I think the a lot of the proof so far has been in the fact that I mean, we have everybody from Episcopal churches and Roman Catholic churches, um, liturgical churches to to Baptist and and free will, um, you know, the the free church movement. Um, across the board, we've been able to get churches saying, yeah, you're not telling me how to interpret this. You're just setting the table for us to do it well in our own setting. And that's our goal for the resources. We want them to be broadly helpful for the whole church. Right. Well, man, I I just strongly want to share my just encouragement by this and uh, my support of the mission there. Not that that means anything, but I just wanted to say it. Um, but no, this is <laughs> encouraging. You. I hope that I hope that our listeners will, one, check out what you're doing with the Institute for Bible Reading, um, learn more about these stats, educate themselves, but two, that they would make use of some of these resources, readers, Bibles, uh, implementing that into discussion, that they would consider various ways that they can do that. Um, Glenn, I, I really appreciate this conversation. I wanted to just ask one, I said that was my last question, but one <laughs> final brief question question. Yes. Um, what is a, a passage of scripture that you've been uh, kind of ruminating on devotionally lately? Yeah, well, it's a kind of a series of things. I'm, my, my next project is actually to work on um, kind of how the early church in particular, uh, counterculturally, were people of the book. So I've been looking at all the passages that talk about reading the scripture out loud, um, the opening and the ending of Paul's letters, and what he says about the church gathering, um, reading letters, how he says at Colossians, make sure you share this with the church at Laodicea and read the letter I wrote to them. And how there was this just flat out commitment in the early church to reading and knowing the scriptures well. The newly developing scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, Every Justin Martyr said, every time we gather, we read the scriptures at length, as long as time allows and then we we teach on that. And I thought, that's an amazing vision. And and the early church, they were clearly people of the book. So I'm trying to, to read the scriptures about reading scripture and seeing if there are clues there for how we can get back to being people of the book. Because right now, I don't think it's an accurate description of who we are. Hmm. Yeah, wow. Man, I'm excited to hear more about how that comes along. And I think that there's some interesting um, research that it's popped on my radar. I haven't looked into a whole lot about 
literacy rates and those kinds of things in the early church and the development of like the codex and other things. But um, man, I'm, I'm grateful that you're undertaking that task and I hope uh, the Lord really blesses you in that. Glenn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Hey, it, it's awesome. If I can just quickly say one thing that kind of got me going on this is a chapter in Larry Hurtado's book, um, The Destroyer of the Gods, mm-hmm. about the early Christians. There's a chapter called A Bookish Religion yeah. about just how countercultural the early church was in terms of expecting people to know intimately a set of texts. Mm. And it, it changed the way I think about things. So that's that awesome. was just a little plug there. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I've, 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 I've heard of, uh, Larry Hurtado's work on that. I haven't personally read into it, but now I think I have to. So <laughs> I appreciate you, uh, putting that on my radar. Yeah. Thank you so much, Glenn. This has been great. Sure. It's great to be here, Travis. I appreciate so much you, uh, talking with me today. Mm. 